as we have had opportunity to, to speak over the course of this past year, we've been talking about Jesus as the master teacher. And I want to conclude that series of lessons this morning with a connection to the things that we've just heard and read and, and which all of us are thinking about. Because it's important for us to, to recognize that the story of Jesus' physical presence on earth, the birth of Jesus that we have been focusing on, that we think about when we come to this time of year, is just the beginning of that story. And we have to ask ourselves, what if the story ended there? What if all there was to the story of Jesus was the story of his birth? Where would we see the power that he demonstrated? Where would we see the example that he gave of how we are to live? Where would we hear the teaching that he came into the world to bring? Where would we see the sacrifice that he gave on the cross? Or where would we see the glory of the empty tomb on the morning of his resurrection. If the story of Jesus ended with the story of his birth, it's really not much of a story as far as our salvation is concerned. Because the beginning of the story is a potential. What we see of that small child born in Bethlehem is the potential of our hope. It's only when we get to the end of the story that we see the fulfillment of that hope. On only two occasions during Jesus' life on earth does the voice of God the Father speak directly of the Son. In Matthew the third chapter we read at the 16th verse that as soon as Jesus was baptized he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So the first time the voice of God speaks to us directly concerning the Son is because of his action. Because of something he did, which was to be baptized as an example for us to do likewise. And the second time that God speaks concerning his son in a very direct manner with his own voice happens in Matthew the 17th chapter. When Jesus was seen in glorified form by Peter James and John alongside Moses and Elijah. But at the conclusion of that event, in the fifth verse of that chapter, Matthew records this. That while he, Jesus, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
So the second time that the voice of God speaks concerning his son, it is a direction to listen to his words, to listen to his teaching. So the two occasions where God's voice speaks concerning the son, one is because of his actions, and the second is because of his teaching. Those actions never happen if the story ends at his birth. That teaching is never heard if the story ends at his birth. So it is at the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. In the 28th chapter, beginning of verse 16, we see the last word of teaching that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Now, of course, over the, over the, the last year as we have delivered this series of lessons... We've seen Jesus teaching in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different circumstances, using a lot of different methods. But here he speaks directly to his apostles. Those same apostles who, three of them at least, had been told directly by God, you listen to him. And now he has a word to leave them with before he returns to the Father. Notice what Matthew writes leading up to that. He says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I talk a lot about context. In my, in my teaching of God's Word. Because in order for us to really understand anything, we have to understand the circumstances of it. Because if we look at something just by itself, without knowing the circumstances, sometimes we can interpret things incorrectly. And so it's important that in setting the context that we ask what we call the journalist's questions. You know, the who, what, when, where, and why. And so when we look at this particular teaching, we see the when. It's after Jesus' initial appearances to his disciples after his resurrection. The who on this particular occasion, we're told by Matthew, is the 11 disciples. That is to say, the 11 apostles less Judas, who was the betrayer who had already taken his own life. And they are in the place, the where, on a mountain in Galilee where Jesus had previously given them instruction to meet him following his resurrection. But consider the what of the circumstance. Matthew tells us that when Jesus appeared to them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
That's kind of a strange thing for, for Matthew to write at this point, don't you think? Here these 11 men have traveled all of this distance from Jerusalem to Galilee to this place that Jesus had told them, go there and I'll meet you. They've already seen him in the flesh on multiple occasions over the, over the past 40 days. When, they, when he arrives on the scene, they immediately are moved to worship him. And yet, some doubted. What do we suppose, they, what, what, what do we suppose those doubts were about? at this point. Surely they didn't doubt the resurrection by now. I mean they'd had several opportunities to see Jesus in the flesh moving, speaking, talking, doing things. They, they certainly didn't doubt that he had risen from the dead. What were their doubts about? Well I think that takes us to the why. Because in these words, which we frequently refer to as the Great Commission, Jesus answers the question of why he's speaking to them on this particular occasion, why he's called them to this place, and how he is addressing the doubt that's in their mind. The first thing that he says to them is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus wanted them to understand that whatever it was that he was about to tell them to do, he had the power to direct it. He had the power to empower them to accomplish it. That whatever their fears were, whatever their doubts were, whatever thoughts were in their minds that I don't know that we're up to the task of what Jesus is going to call on us to do. Jesus wanted them to know, I have the power to tell you what to do and to make your effort successful. Because all authority has been given to me. Therefore, since I have the power, he says, here's what your instructions are. Go and make disciples of all nations. Here is what the empowered Messiah wants you to do from this moment forward. First of all, I want you to go. I don't want you to stay here on this mountain where you're safe and isolated, where nobody's bothering you, where nobody's hassling you or harassing you, nobody's persecuting you. You're here in this solitary place by yourselves. You could just stay here and be together, have your own little family, your own little group, and be okay. But Jesus said, no, the first thing I want you to do is go. I want you to get out of here and back into the world. 
And when you're going, I want you to make disciples. Now remember, that's the same word <coughs> that Matthew has just used to describe these 11 men. He said, the 11 disciples. That is to say, the 11 followers. Because that, that word disciple means literally one who follows a path. If you're a disciple of someone, it literally means you're walking in their footsteps. You're following the path that they have laid before you. Jesus looks at these 11 men who are walking in his footsteps and says, I want you to go and make others like yourselves. I want you to replicate the process. You have become followers of mine, and I want you to go and make more, more followers. And, he says, I want you to make followers of all nations. In other words, don't just go to your home folks and make disciples. Don't just go to your own people and make disciples. Don't just go to people who are like you and make disciples. People who look like you. People who speak your language. People who come from the, the same background, the same socioeconomic standing. I want you to go to all nations and make followers for me. To to find others who will become what you are, disciples of mine. And how you're going to do that is by doing this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Remember we saw earlier in the lesson that there are only two occasions when the voice of God speaks directly, vocally, verbally about his son. And the first of those two is when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus was baptized of John, the voice of God speaks and says, This is my son. With him I am well pleased. That voice didn't speak every day. Jesus did a lot of stuff over the course of the time that he was on earth. But on only two occasions did the voice of God think it was important enough to point it out. And say, this is my son doing this. That's what makes it a big deal. And he pleases me by doing this. And we remember also in that reading in Matthew that when the voice of the Father speaks, the Spirit of God descended. So we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all present in that moment when Jesus is baptized. And the voice of God says, this is my Son. And I'm pleased with what he's doing. 
And now Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go into the world and make disciples like yourselves. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How can it be that we would suppose it's not important for disciples of Jesus to be baptized? When the voice of God himself spoke at Jesus' own baptism and said, this is my son and I'm pleased with him. And when the last words that Jesus speaks on earth to his disciples are, I want you to go and baptize disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How dare we say that's not important? How dare we say that's not something people need to do? It was important to God. And it was important to his son. But Jesus also said, here's something else you need to do in the making of these disciples in all nations. You need to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. There's going to be teaching involved. It's not merely that you're going to go from place to place, dunk people in water, and go on your merry way. That's not how this works, this making of disciples. There is a, there is a, a component, an essential component of teaching. Not only that, but that teaching is the things I have commanded you. Not stuff you made up. Not stuff that sounded good to you. Not stuff you thought people ought to know. You're going to teach them the things I have commanded you. And they are going to need to do what? Obey everything that they've been taught that I have commanded you. Many people have the idea that, yes, it's important for a disciple of Christ to be baptized. But that's kind of the end of the deal, right? Once I'm baptized, I can just go on with life. I'm saved. Hallelujah. But notice that Jesus makes this making of disciples a two-part thing. People have to be baptized but they also have to be taught to obey everything that he commanded. That's the other part of being a disciple. Is continuing in the way. Remember that's what the word disciple means. To walk in the way of another. If you're truly a disciple of Jesus. It means learning what he commanded and obeying those commands. That's how a disciple is made. And then he concludes by saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
I know you have doubts, he's saying. I know you're afraid. I know that you're thinking, how are we ever going to be able to do this thing that Jesus is telling us to do? People aren't going to like us. People are going to get mad at us. People are going to persecute us. People may even want to kill us. Jesus says, I know. I know you fear that. I know you have those doubts. Remember, they worshipped, but they doubted. He said, I know. But I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why is this what we call the Great Commission? Why is this Jesus' final lesson to his disciples? Because he knew that they were dedicated and committed and desired more than anything to worship him. They've just proven that. They've come all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee to this remote location. So they're dedicated clearly. They're committed. When they see him, their first impulse is to worship. So their hearts are in the right place. But some of them still had doubts that needed to be overcome. And even though some had doubts, all of them had a mission that needed to be accomplished. See, Jesus needed his disciples to be more than worshipers. He needed them to be workers. Because there again is one of the fallacies that we sometimes fall into as Christians. I showed up on Sunday and I worshipped. I've done my disciple thing. But the fact that they came to Jesus and worshipped, that was good. He didn't rebuke them for worshipping. But he also told them, now that you've done that, here's what you need to go do. You need to go make disciples. You need to go and teach and baptize people. I don't want you just sitting here on this mountain worshiping. I want you in the world working on my behalf. And that work was not going to be over in a month wasn't going to be over in a year, wasn't going to be over in the lifetimes of those 11 men. Which is why Jesus says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Because that's how long the job is going to take. And those latter words are not for those 11 men. Because, here's the sad part of the story, those 11 men, all been dead for 1900 and some odd years. Those 11 men no longer with us. But the command is still there. The mission still needs to be accomplished. 
there are still disciples to be made in all nations. There are still people who need to be baptized into Christ and who need to be taught the things that He commanded in order that they might obey them. That job won't be done until this age is over. So it is that 1900 and some odd years later, we're still here, we're still living, we've picked up that mantle as disciples, this now is our job. Mine and yours, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to teach them all of the things that Jesus commanded in order that they might obey them. How long is this age going to last? I don't know. Could end today. Could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows, but God knows. So as long as the age hasn't ended, the mission is still alive. And those of us who have accepted the title of disciple still have a job to do. We still have work to carry on. The Great Commission is the last lesson because it's the culmination of everything. This is the end of the story. The birth of Jesus is just the beginning. Here's the end of the story. Here's where, the, where everything that is potential in Bethlehem becomes fully grown. When Jesus gives this mission to his disciples. The power is present now. The power is just potential when we see the little baby in the manger. But now the power is real because Jesus has died, been buried, and come back from the grave. And all authority has been given to him. Now the mission is real. There's no mission in Bethlehem except come see the baby. But now there's a mission to make disciples of all nations. And now we know the means. Now we know how to do that. You know, there was, there was no knowledge yet of, of, of baptism as such when the baby is born in Bethlehem. And there's no teaching yet, because he's a baby. He, he's, he's not yet forming words. But now, there's baptism to be accomplished. And now, the body of teaching, as we've been talking about in this series of lessons throughout the course of this year, now the master teacher has spoken. We know what his words are. We know what his commands are. We know what we ought to be doing with our lives and what to tell other people that they need to do in order to be pleasing to him.
Now we know the intended result, which is obedience in all things. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. None of it matters if we don't obey. None of it matters if we don't do what we're called upon to do. If we don't live the lives that Jesus has called us to live. If we don't carry on the mission. But now we also have the assurance. I am with you always. Remember those 11 men, dead and buried, been long gone. 19 some odd centuries. Those men are, are on their way to their reward. But the mission is still alive. And therefore Jesus is still here to empower us to carry on that mission. I am with you always was not for those 11 men. I am with you always is for you and me. Because we're the ones in 2022, about to be 2023, who are still here. He is with us and will be always to the very end of the age. The story of Jesus' birth. And thanks be to God that we have that story. That we can read it. We can, we can find joy in it. We can celebrate it. But that story is just potential. At that point in the story, nothing's happened yet. To accomplish our salvation. If the story ends in Bethlehem, we are condemned to hell. Because he has not yet died for our sins. He is just the potential of salvation. But when he gives the great commission, Jesus has fulfilled the hope of eternal life by coming from the grave, back to life, and saying, where I go, you go. What I've done, you will do. If you come with me. Because as he told his disciples in the 14th chapter of John at the 6th verse, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you come by me. When Jesus gives the great commission, hope is real. He has died to buy it. He has been raised from the dead to prove that it exists. And now he sends these 11 men into the world not with just a good story to tell but with the promise of everlasting life for those who are baptized into Christ and who obey him in all things. And as we've said, those 11 men, dead and gone, 
that job now falls to you and me. What are we doing with that commission? What are we doing with that charge? Do we not know that unless we share the gospel with others, they are condemned. They're lost. They're without hope. We have the opportunity to share the good news of eternal life with people who are living on a one-way ticket to eternal condemnation. Why would we keep that to ourselves? Why would we not want to share that with everybody we can at every opportunity we have? Why would we not want to go into the world and make others like ourselves who are striving to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Because he alone is the way eternal life. As you celebrate today and reflect on the birth of Jesus, find joy in that story. Because it's a joyful story. But remember the end point of the story. Because that's where everything comes together. And remember that at the end of the story, Jesus' last message is go make disciples. Go make others like you. And if you have doubts, know this. I am with you always to the very end of the age.